We believe God calls us into Christian community with the challenge to discern and act upon the ongoing revelation of God in our time and place. We live out this vision by being a church rooted deeply in liturgical traditions, where intergenerational friendships are valued. All members can be known by name. Open-mindedness is the basis of spiritual formation. Resources are shared generously. And where hands-on service is crucial to our own discipleship and the mission of Christ in the world. We celebrate this vision through the intimacy of a loving congregation, the strength of Baptist freedoms, and the reach of an ecumenical and inclusive spirit. However, we do not always live into the vision of the church we intend to be. We confess our reluctance and ask for God's forgiveness. We pause for a moment of silent confession. God meets us where we are. God has forgiven us. Let us lift our voices in praise to God. Welcome to the worship of God at Northside Drive Baptist Church. It is good to be together as God's people on this good day, this anniversary Sunday, where we celebrate our 67th anniversary. So welcome. We have some guests that have traveled to be here for this good day, and we're glad you are here. There is on the edge of your order of service uh, a response card. If you're a guest, if you would uh, complete that, Drop it in the offering plate. It'll help me connect name and face with you. And then for any of our members who would like to be prayed for, any of our guests as well, place that on the card, and it's an honor to pray for you by name and by need each week. Our deacons and our staff uh, pray for you. Well, as we go through the service, the first thing we did as we entered was sing our anniversary hymn that was written by Dr. Bedford Davis, one of our charter members who died about three years ago. And he wrote it on our 50th anniversary, 17 years ago. And uh, we celebrate that. The litany that we read as an opening is our vision statement. And so we're living into our history as we walk through our present and into our future. As we listen to the scriptures today, the epistle lesson will tell us we need to pray for the leadership and who hasn't done and who doesn't need to do that. 
The gospel lesson is one of the baffling uh, parables of Jesus, but it's from that that I will be preaching. The sermon title is Blessed Are the Imaginative. And then the first lesson we'll hear is from the Old Testament uh, prophet Jeremiah. And it's in this text that he asks the question, is there no balm, B-A-L-M, is there no balm in Gilead? And of course, there's a spiritual uh, uh, song written to answer, yes, there is. And we'll sing that later in the service. So as we open our ears and open our hearts, let us receive the words from this book. Welcome. prophet mourns for the people. A reading from Jeremiah, the eighth chapter, beginning with the 18th verse. My joy is gone. My grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt. I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. Here ends the first lesson. Will you join me in prayer? Holy One, we come in thanksgiving for this community of faith as we celebrate its anniversary. We pray for her members and leaders, pastors, deacons, musicians, childcare workers, Sunday school teachers, and office staff, and all who volunteer their time and energy and give of their financial resources to ensure the ongoing ministry of your church. Giver of life, in this weekend of demonstrations and a United Nations summit, we are reminded to the threats to this planet, our home, and therefore threats to our human well-being because of global warming. We pray for human and other than human beings who bear this week the brunt of climate change Residents of Houston and the Bahamas and Puerto Rico, 
People threatened by fires in Bolivia, Brazil, and Indonesia. Island nations and coastal cities who anticipate the loss of their homes in the coming decades. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive our negligence and our abuse of the rest of creation. Give us wisdom and perseverance to committing our, to change our ways. Help us to take individual actions, large and small, and to urge our elected leaders to make the necessary policy changes that we might stop destroying your creation and begin to help renew it to life. Hear our prayers, O God, for we come to you through Christ Jesus, who taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. A prayer is for all people. A reading from the first letters of Paul to Timothy. 1 Timothy 2, chapter 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge <clears throat> that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and for all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who, deserve, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God. There is also one mediator between God and mankind, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this, I was appointed a herald and apostle. I am not, I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Here ends the second lesson. I'd like to invite all the children to come forward for a lesson at this time, right here. If you brought an offering, Pastor Daniel has an offering plate for you. Hey, sweetie. Come sit. Come sit. 
Okay, good morning. Good morning. Y'all <laughs> come find the seat? On the carpet, there's so much space for everyone. All right, everybody find a spot? Hi, good morning. Well, did you know today is kind of a special day at our church? Do you know today is anniversary Sunday? Can you say anniversary? Anniversary. Anniversary is a big word that means a day that you celebrate every year because something special happened on that day. And we're celebrating our church anniversary. That's when our church became a church. So we celebrate that every year, and we're on 67 this year, our 67th anniversary. That's a lot of years, isn't it? Well, Leah, listen to this. So today, I thought I would talk to you guys a little bit about the church. Is our church just a place? No. No? Are you sure? I see a lot of stuff. I see windows. I see seats, I see pews, I see a floor, I see a carpet. It's a church. What else is in the church today? I know. Church oh, people, that's right, Levon. Levon got, he said. A carpet. He, that's right, and Levon said there's people in the church. There's a lot of us in the church. And you know, Levon, that's a really important part of the church. People. Because the church is made up of not just these windows and carpets and pews and everything like that. It's made up of people. And we, people, become people that can love and can serve and can grow and can work and do things at the church in the name of Jesus Christ. And we can do those things to help about and teach people about Jesus. So I was thinking about how we are the church and we do things and we have to do things with our body, right? We can serve with our body. We can welcome people. How do you welcome people? Is there anything you can wave at them? What are you using your hand? What, what's another way you can uh, welcome people? Pastor Jeff? Oh, you can shake their hand. So can y'all wave? Can you shake hands? That's one way to welcome people. And you know, that got me thinking about fun things to do with your hands. When I was your age, I learned a fun little rhyme about church, and I used my hands for it. And it goes like this. I take my hands and I put my fingers together. You can do it with me. You put your fingers together and then you close your hands like this. And you say, here is the church. Here is the steeple. And then your thumbs, you say, open the doors and see all the people, as the people are inside. And I think today, since we've talked about our church being here for 67 years with all the people, you know, the church, even though we have a lot of people inside, there's a lot of people outside the church, too. So today we could say like this, y'all do this with me, repeat after me. I want y'all to say, here is the church. Here is the steeple. Let's open the doors and welcome all people. Thank you for helping me learn about our church anniversary today. Let's have a prayer. Dear God, 
Thank you for this church house and thank you for this day of celebration. Help us to continue to be your hands and feet and to love and serve your world in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it, y'all. Let's go. Let's go tonight. Let's go. As the boys and girls uh, go. go with Miss Mary Lou, we're going to get ready to sing the next hymn. It may be a new hymn to some of you. It's on page 649. We give thee but thine own. And our choir is going to help us learn this hymn. They'll be singing the first and second stanzas, and then we will join them in singing the third and fourth and fifth. Let's all go ahead and stand together and listen from our choir. Jesus tells a parable about faithfulness to God. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 16, beginning with the first verse. Then Jesus said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned the manager and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me an account of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do? Now that my master is taking the position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do 
so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? He answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 50. Then he asked another, how much do you owe? He replied, a hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Imagine that the uh, landscape committee of our church has been out working in the churchyard this week, and while they were doing so, they discovered a time capsule. Imagine that in the time capsule are ingredients from our charter members from 1952, 53, 54, uh, over 60 years ago. And what in the world do you think those charter members put in that time capsule? Well, I've got some ideas. I imagine you, we'd find uh, slips of paper like one from Fisher Albertson. And my hunch is Fisher would say, there is no church problem too big that can't be solved with a cookout. Hot dogs and hamburgers on the grill will take care of anything, as he did at his house, he said, every Sunday afternoon or up here at the church property. I'm guessing that Mr. Perk would have some advice in there, Mr. Perkle. He would say, be sure and visit all of the guests who come on Sunday and keep on visiting them until they relent and join, even if you have to sit on an antique coffee table and break, him, break it to threaten them. Ask Joe and Hal Meeks, that happened to them. They joined the next Sunday, I think. Judy Lawrence would have said, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine, because there's nothing like humor to keep a church holy. Louise Davis, Louise Davis would have said, it, it doesn't matter what you do at church as long as it is at the intersection 
of missions and music. And then there would be Bill Selman, the church's first pastor, standing there like a proud papa with a big smile and a Bible large enough to chase off any hound dog that ran out from on the porch after him during prospect visitation. I think the spunk and imaginative passion would be all in that time capsule. Their DNA fingerprints would have been on the sheets. I think also this document would have been there. I pull this document out every year. I should, I should be carrying it with white gloves because it comes from 1953 before the sanctuary slash chapel was built. And it, it tells of the excitement of the building to come. This was the builder generation, you know. And on the front page, this first oldest piece of our publicity that defined, defined us to the community, I think has our DNA. It says, we are or wanting to establish a church where neighbors could become good friends and together worship God in our own neighborhood. To me, that is the double helix of our DNA that has followed us every year of our lives. One, a place where neighbors can become friends, and the other, a place where we worship God in our community. Worship and friendly neighborhood. Now we've had to define, redefine both of those words. When these words were written, Louise Davis said, the entire church membership was from six blocks. And now we are over 60 miles apart, imagine that. So neighborhood means something differently. And being church means something differently. You could walk from North Atlanta High School to the church and be here in time for youth or children's choir practice on Wednesday night. So we've had to adjust our definitions of who we are, but the DNA that is the identity of who we are, I don't think has changed. That's what I want to preach on. Blessed are the imaginative, because we need what these charters had. However, we need it differently. We need it differently, and I'll come back to that. I want to deal with this baffling parable and then come to what does it look for to be an imaginative congregation now. This story that Jesus tells is one of the confounding ones in the Bible as is the way with Luke, the writer of the gospel, he's very concerned about money. And a lot of the parables are about money. Either they didn't have much or they had a lot or they were just really concerned about it. And so all of the, uh, many more than any other gospel writer talk about what are we gonna do with our money? Now the, the parable is like a comedy story about this wealthy man and the manager and what he's going to do because he's stuck in the middle. But then there are six conclusions at the end of the parable. It's sort of like a bad sermon, you know, where the preacher doesn't know and keeps saying, well, in conclusion, in conclusion, and if you don't really know where you're going to quit, you just put the landing gear out and wait for an airport to show up. It kind of seems like that's how Luke wrote the story. But let's go ahead and dive in. It starts with a certain rich man who. 
Now that's a classic formulaic statement. It's like us hearing once upon a time. You know that with that beginning, you enter the, the world of parable. You enter a, a world of imagination. And for me, I think of we enter a spiritual exercise room. That a parable doesn't so much have a point as it does have exercise equipment that grows our soul and stretches our imagination. And so a certain rich man had a middle manager, a manager who squandered his possessions. Now, if any of you are in the middle between the boss and the boss's expectations and have to meet a quota, then you know a little bit about being in the middle of things. But the charge was when the boss brings in the manager, you have squandered some of what I own. I'm firing you, but before I fire you, I want you to give me an audit on your way out. That's sort of scene one. Scene two is the manager all by himself offering a soliloquy. It's kind of like Hamlet, it's uh, Shakespearean, or it's like Jean Valjean saying, who am I? Two, four, six, oh, one, you know. It's a moment of trying to claim, what am I going to do and who am I? And so he says, let's see, what am I gonna do in this mess? The manager says, I know, I'll dig ditches. And he says, no, that won't work. I have a week back and I can't do that. And then you can see him thinking through and then I know I will uh, beg. I'll stand on the street corner, you know, we'll manage for money. And then he says, no, I'm too proud to do that. And he thinks further and then you see the light bulb go off. I know what, I will use the relationships that I have built as a manager and I'll cut deals with those who owe my boss money. And that's exactly what he does. Shrewdly, says the text, he goes and says, if you owe a hundred jars of olive oil, I tell change your bill. Not a great line. Change your bill to 50, only 50. If you owe a hundred uh, uh, bushels of wheat, change the bill to 80. And so he collects these and the boss compliments him. Well done, says the boss. And then Jesus seems to affirm the dishonest manager in the parable and says, he's more wise than many who are children of light. Now, what in the world do we make of such a peculiar thing? In Luke's gospel, there are many warnings about wealth. It's not peripheral to living life, Christian. It's part of the core curriculum. And it's not only what do we do with people that are in need. It's not just about the welfare of others, but there are plenty of warnings that obsession about money, uh, wealth, can occlude your soul. It will stop up your arteries of health. There's a warning. And so with all of this concern about money, the guy goes and does it. He is applauded by the boss. And then there are all these conclusions given according to Jesus in Luke's gospel. The way I would say what the manager does is this. The manager realizes that generosity is the best investment. He 
cuts this deal with the, those who are debtors, and by being generous to them, he calls upon that investment and it helps him out. It actually gets him out of the hole through the relationships that he's already established. By setting the debtors free of their burden, he himself is freed. The squander that he's accused of in the first part of the verse means to dissipate, to scatter it. Same word used about the prodigal son. He squandered his father's um, amount to dissipate it. But also that same Greek word can mean to scatter like seed, to plant, to disperse, and plant that which might grow. In other words, he comes up with this imaginative solution to this problem, and therefore the sermon title, Blessed Are the Imaginative, for they connect available resources through valued relationships. I think that's pretty much what our charter members were doing 67 years ago, taking the available resources they had, connecting them with the relationships they valued, because imagination is a sacred thing. Like I said earlier, we need what the charter members had. We need a sacred imagination like they had, but we need it differently. Here's what I mean. They were of the builder generation. Sociologists talk about those who, are, uh, who lived through World War II, the builder generation. We who came next, like me, the boomer generation, then Gen X, and then millennial. You know how we are categorized. Well, they were the builder generation. And for the builder generation, they needed stuff to make it real, right? If you build it, we will come, they will come, and that's what exactly happened. And they did it, and they were very proud of it. I was reading here in this document from 1953, and uh, I want to pass this along to our marketing committee. I think, I think this might cause us to go places. It says, all the facilities that are being built are complete for church activities and include many modern features that have been incorporated, such as air conditioning, effective lighting, and folding partitions. I think that's a three-point that give it. Now, of course, you know, the, the air conditioning, well, you know, comes and goes. Effective lighting, well, if you don't count all the lights that are out here in the sanctuary, and I'm not even sure we have folding partitions anymore, but that must have really brought them in back then. I don't know what would be the complimentary thing for it. I assume that, that we would advertise a kiosk available for donations as you enter the door, or things like live streaming, free Wi-Fi, or is that Wi-Fi? Yeah, Wi-Fi, <laughs> and a Starbucks station as you come through the narthex. I think those would be complimentary to this day and time. Maybe we need an imagination committee and establish it as such. Here's the difference between 1952, in my opinion, and 2019. Between our time and their time, we both need imagination, but we need it differently. I'm gonna let Barbara Brown Taylor in her book, An Altar in the World, say it. 
She says, all we lack is the willingness to imagine that we already have everything we need. Say that again. All we lack is the willingness to imagine that all that we already have everything we need. In other words, that strikes me that we have to imagine that what we have and who we have and the numbers that we have are enough. Now that takes imagination. The builders would have said, we, we need more, we need the building, we, we need this for us to become who we are. And that was true to their organic composition. And now we are where we are. And so we look at the future and remarkably, as Barbara reminds us, we already have what we already need, everything. She goes on to say the only thing missing is our consent to be where we are. I don't know if that grips you like it grips me, but it, it does. To me, that's the essence of every major religion's spirituality. That Jesus said it, John the Baptist said it, the kingdom of God is near you, within you, among you. And it takes a courageous thing and a courageous church to imagine that we already have everything we need to be who God wants us to be. Now I know we wish we had a time machine where we could go back and live in a different decade so that doing what we do now with quality worship, progressive education, hands-on missions, had a culture out there in the world that supported what we did. But we live decades later from that. We all say, if I just had more time, more money, more resources, more tangible results to see that we're on the right track, then we would be okay. I don't know about you, but I spend way too much of time in my life fretting and focusing on what I don't have rather than faithfully being grateful for what I do have. There are folk in this room, and we talk about it as a staff, how can we repurpose some of this property and building that already exists to use even more further in expressing who we are and giving ourselves away to the world. I'd like to have regular Al-Anon meetings here in the nights of the week, or AA meetings here on Saturdays. Uh, but let's see, that requires someone to open the door and close the door. It requires security uh, after hours. It requires more, well, let's see, that, we'll have to think about that. It can be done, but we have to think it through of how to imagine that what we already have is a way to give away what we want to do. This past uh, Monday night, we had the church council meeting and uh, Daniel showed the videos that our marketing committee have put together uh, and showed them to the church council. Ken Brandt, Karen Massey, Caitlin Cook-Fur were featured on these and, uh, and, and the church council gave them an Emmy Award I mean, they were just wowed because how eloquently, elegantly, humbly, human, and holy, they told their stories about our inclusive community, our invested community, involved community, 
If they told our stories, how do we keep telling that story and believe that God blesses that because it's enough? How do we keep investing in new mission partners like the Lost and Found group that we invest in and have given donations to, a group that uh, tends to young adults who have been shunned by their families because of their sexual orientation? As we continue to celebrate what we have, let us also pray for the imagination of our charter members, but repurpose it to imagine what if we have exactly, exactly what God wants to give us? And said another way, what if you and I, what if today we do another time capsule? I mean, like right now, like right after lunch down in the fellowship hall where a bunch of our members right now are putting chicken on plates. What if we had a, do a time capsule today? What would you put in it? Here's what I would put in it. I would say in the year 2019, the church discovered anew that the resources that we have were just enough to do exactly what God wanted through the relationships we valued. And we put that in a, in a time capsule, but where do we put the time capsule? I know. We, we put it in the new cupola. In the cupola just beneath the new Celtic cross. We put it there so that it keeps a watch on the new pavilion as it listens to us sing where neighbors can become good friends and even to the glory of God, we square dance. Yeah. Amen. It has always been our tradition that when a word is offered, an invitation to dedication is given, and we sing a hymn about that today. It is a spiritual, there is a balm in Gilead. It echoes the first scripture we heard read. Gilead was a part, a geography of the Holy Land, that in that section it was known for a certain kind of fruit tree that produced a balm that was healing like an ointment. And so that's where this comes from. We let it in these difficult days in which we live be a balm to our soul. The choir is going to prepare our hearts in their singing and then we will stand and join with them on the second stanza. Let's listen.
this time of the service, I'd like to bring a few celebrations and announcements to you. And as has been said throughout the service, if you haven't gathered already, we're celebrating our 67th anniversary at Northside Drive Baptist Church. We'll celebrate by having a luncheon in the fellowship hall. Just follow the crowd. All are invited. I got that permission at the highest echelons from Barbara Ashley to extend the invitation to all. Come join us in the fellowship hall for a luncheon. Some prayer concerns, uh, the flooding that uh, has affected Houston, uh, southern parts of the United States, and Bahamas. Nancy Hall and I had lunch with uh, Stephen Porter, who is the coordinator for uh, global missions uh, for CBF, and he was telling us about all the CBF-aligned churches that had been devastated uh, by Hurricane Dorian uh, and, and the challenges of rebuilding or whether rebuilding would even happen. So I wanted to bring that to you, a word from CBF, and be looking for ways that uh, we might respond. Some celebration uh, that I announced last week, but our grandparents were in absentia with the new grandbaby, I presume, from the photographs that I saw. You see on the back a celebration that Elizabeth, who is the daughter of Jerry and Jackie Poole, Elizabeth and John Woodward had a new baby boy, Nash Freeman Woodward, born on September 9th. Congratulations to you all. Our prayers have been with you since we learned that. Our choir will help us continue our worship uh, by this song by Gabriel Fauré, Cantique de Jean Racine. Gabriel Fauré was 19 years old when he wrote this, uh, a child prodigy to be sure. Choir, help us continue our worship.
give thanks as did those saints who go before us, of Judy Lawrence and Fisher Albertson, of Mr. Perkle, of Louise Davis and Bedford, and all of those who forever proclaim the glory of your name. Bless us as we give these tithes and offerings as we try to do the same this week. In Christ's name, amen. As was mentioned earlier, we hope everyone will stay for lunch in Fellowship Hall, which is in the building to my left. If you're a guest today, just follow one of the Northside drivers and they will take you there. Also, there will be a special treat along with the food. We're showing some slides taken by Tony Calloway decades ago when Bedford Davis took the Honduras mission trip, Operation Touch, and you'll see pictures of Kay Braswell and uh, Cheryl Duell as teenagers. <laughs> and so as we prepare to go, remember this, may the strength of Christ uplift you, the comfort of the Holy Spirit surround you, and the grace and mercy of God give you hope and give you courage. This day and every day as we prepare to go in peace, amen. Thank you.